Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 733 for release on Sunday, March 12, 2023. On WaveScan today, the Marconi operator with the Marconi station at Poldu in England, part two. Another report from the HFCC A23 conference in Tunisia, Wandering the World with a Radio, Part 1, The Early Family Era, and our Philippine DX Report from Henry Umatai, a very special edition. It was the young Englishman Sidney Benjamin Madams that sent the now historic Morse code message across the Atlantic from England to the United States on Thursday, December 12, 1901. The Marconi wireless station PD was located at Poldu on the southern coast of England. The medium wave frequency with all of its harmonics was 820 kilohertz. The power was in excess of 50 kilowatts and Madams was just 16 years old. Here's Ray Robinson with more on that story. Thanks, Jeff. Two years later, in 1903, Madams built the DeForest wireless station PH in the Palace Hotel in San Francisco, and he stayed on as one of the operators. Subsequently, he served as the wireless operator on the SS Helonian under the callsign P2, running between San Francisco and Honolulu. In 1910, wireless operator Sidney Benjamin Madams was taken back into service once again with the Marconi Company, this time at Kahuku, at the northern point of the Hawaiian island of Oahu. Nine years earlier, the Marconi Company in England had installed a network of five wireless stations throughout the islands of Hawaii. The headquarters station for this now historic wireless network, which was registered as the Inter-Island Telegraph Company, was originally located at Kaimuki in suburban Honolulu. However, in 1910, the Marconi Company constructed a new wireless station for the Inter-Island Telegraph Company at Kahuku, under the leadership of pioneer wireless engineer Arthur A. Isbell. That new Marconi-equipped station was the first one installed at Kahuku, and Sidney Madams was one of the first operators of the station, which had been granted the callsign HU. However, two years later, in 1912, the Federal Telegraph Company constructed its own wireless station at Hiia Point, at a bay on the east coast of Oahu, a dozen miles from Honolulu. The now 27-year-old Madams was appointed as the manager and chief operator of the new station, and his 25-year-old wife Laura was also an operator. At that stage, they'd been married just two years. There were two transmitters at the Federal Wireless Station at Hiia Point, one at 30 kilowatts and one at 100 kilowatts. The triangular flat-top aerial system was suspended from three towers, one at 508 feet tall and two at 348 feet. Three different call signs were used consecutively at Hiia Point, first HX, then KX, followed by KHX. The transmitter facility was keyed from Wailupe. 
In January 1917, Congress in Washington, D.C. gave attention to the Hiiya Point wireless station, and on May 15th of the following year, 1918, the purchase of the station was finalised. It was taken over by the U.S. Navy. At that stage, there was a five-foot square straight-up wooden aerial tower in use, 400 feet tall. It was supported by insulated guy wires, and every bolt in the wooden tower was connected electrically and grounded to protect against fire. However, at one stage, there was a fire on the wooden tower, and a young Chinese watchman clambered almost to the top with an extinguisher on his back. The fire was quickly extinguished. Six months later, on December the 7th, 1918, the 100 kilowatt Federal Arc transmitter was removed and shipped for installation at Russian island Vladivostok in Siberia. After the end of World War I, Congress gave another hearing to the Hiiya Point wireless station and the Navy was ordered to return the station property to the Federal Telegraph Company. In 1933, the square wooden tower was demolished and the now 48-year-old Sidney Maddams was present for its destruction. However, give another 10 years to 1943, and the Hiiya Point property was again taken over by the US Navy for wartime usage, and they installed a total of 10 shortwave transmitters. The naval operating position was now located at Wahiawa, in the centre of the island of Oahu. In 1959, the Navy turned the station over to the Marine Corps, and five years later, in 1964, the Samuel Wilder King Intermediate School was constructed on the property. After the end of World War I, Madams took employment with Mackay Radio in Palo Alto, California, and then with Mackay Radio in Hawaii, with its shortwave transmitter at Kailua, from which he retired in 1943. He died in Honolulu in 1966 at the age of 81. His wife Laura died five years later in 1971 at the age of 84. The lifetime of Sidney Benjamin Madam spanned from the very early wireless era into the beginning of television. He left his own imprint on the development of international wireless and radio, though these days that man with such incredible communications experience is almost entirely forgotten. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray, and we'll get back to you in a moment. Today we're continuing our coverage of the HFCC A23 Shortwave Frequency Coordination Conference, which took place in Tunisia in early February. One of the delegates there was Steve Palmer, Leader of Service Management at Encompass in the UK, the company which operates the BBC World Service transmitter sites around the world. Okay, we're here with uh, Steve Palmer, who is with uh, Encompass, and this is your first HFCC conference, right? It is, indeed. I'm, a, I'm an HFCC baby, so <laughs> thank you very much for welcoming me, Jeff, and uh, everyone's been fantastic and so welcoming, and uh, uh, having been involved with HF radio operationally for, for many years, it's, uh, it's lovely to actually come here and see how the frequencies are planned and cleared and uh, get to meet everyone and uh, yeah it's fantastic so so thank you for for the welcome <laughs> now are you uh, a shortwave listener yourself yes yeah um and a uh, bit of a radio uh, enthusiast for, for for many many years uh i um uh, i subjected my poor parents to many radio programs uh, made in my bedroom when i was uh, uh, when i was a kid uh i used to have a couple of uh, couple of tape decks 
um, and uh, I used to record jingles off the radio uh, and then uh, insert them into my own radio programs and interview my mum and dad about all manner of different topics. <laughs> Play requests for them. Uh, they drew the line actually when I installed a, um, a loudspeaker in on the on the first floor hallway <laughs> and started uh, doing them live programs. That that was a step too far. But no transmitter. No transmitter. No, we never got that far. Sadly, uh, well, I had to wait until I was a bit older for that. So <laughs> so, so it was encompassed the first uh, your first uh, radio job yeah it was actually well um in terms of uh, career wise it was i mean when i was 16 i joined my local hospital radio station um which is um uh, a th- it's a thing in britain i don't know how common it is elsewhere uh but in the uk most nhs hospitals have uh, an in-house radio station mm. which is run as a non-profit by volunteers they're all charities mm-hmm. um and and in the uk that's pretty much how you start out in the radio industry so a, a lot of i mean t- i think tony blackburn started out in in hospital radio um and uh, uh so i joined when i was 16 the local hospital radio station i'm still a member now mm-hmm. uh, or, and what does a hospital radio station broadcast it's it's usually music and content relating to the um, the for the patients. So, uh, so the hospital the, the hospital that I I'm a member of is uh, is a cancer hospital. Um, so the station broadcasts music for uh, for the patients who are in hospital. The the volunteers will go around and meet the patients every day and talk talk to them. Uh, if they're in for a long stay, they'll get to know them. Uh, sometimes the hospital radio volunteers are only are the only people that. Um, uh, who, you know, that are not medical that patients who are in there on their own might see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely concept. You, you, you get to know people, you play, play songs mm-hmm. for them. Um, and then the other role uh, really is around kind of occupational therapy. So, uh, so for, for, the, uh, for the kids on the children's unit, uh, you'll have them into the studio, make programs oh. with them, get, you know, they work the desk, press buttons, play music. Um, and then also interviewing uh, medical staff about, um, you know, if you've been diagnosed with a particular condition, what's the typical treatment, mm. you know, what, what should you be aware of as a patient. So it's kind of a, a, a three or four mm. pronged uh, role that hospital radio has. And, and all of these people are volunteers? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and uh, I guess a whole other topic is, is, is around how hospital radio uh, in the UK has to ad- is adapting to the, the streaming world of uh, Spotify and, and, and so on. But that's, that's, that's kind of out of scope, I guess. But now, Are these, uh, for example, FM frequencies? or uh, Distribution varies depending on the hospital. Some hospitals are really small, so they'll typically be closed-loop systems. Um, other hospitals uh, will use low-power AM or FM um, to broadcast around the site. Um, and increasingly streaming, of course. Yeah. And the great thing about streaming is that uh, families of patients can listen in with the patient to, to their to their program. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's how I, I kind of started in in radio, and then I I got into radio as a career later later on. So, uh-huh. so where where did you go from hospital radio? So I um, I was working uh, at a coffee company in the IT department. Uh, and uh, and I wanted I'd always wanted to uh, to take radio into my you know my career, um, and uh, VT Merlin as was were advertising for technical operators, um, so uh, I was introduced uh, via via a friend, 
um, to, 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 to the manager at the time of the control room in Bush House uh, at the BBC World Service uh, and uh, they, they had a few vacancies so I applied um, and, uh, and the rest as they say is history so I started as a technical operator um, at Bush House uh, about uh, 17 years ago 16, 17 years ago um, and uh, of course at that time very, very, very busy. Um, still is very busy uh, in in uh, the BBC's broadcasting house. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of shortwave, um, you know, lo- loads of sites, many, many hours, uh, very busy, and uh, had the kind of traditional training, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was good and, fun. And and so then uh, uh, from there, no, that was that part of VT Merlin's operation at the time? It was, yes, indeed, yes. So, uh, so v- VT Merlin ran the Bush House control room uh, on behalf of the BBC. Um, so uh, so v- although I was a VT Merlin employee, uh, was, was there on behalf of the BBC, uh, running the BBC's transmission operations, running the control room, and that included the, the play-out, uh, scheduling, network switching, Right the way through to the transmitter operations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, it was a really um, satisfying end-to-end control room uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, operation because you, you, you were looking mm-hmm. after the program chain right the way from the listener to mm-hmm. from the studio to the audience. And VT Merlin, of course, eventually became. I don't know how many name changes there were <laughs> along the way, but, but it became Encompass. Right? Became Encompass. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, Babcock. Uh, uh, Babcock purchased uh, VT Communications and then um, uh, Encompass took over Babcock's radio operations um, in, I think it was 2015. Um, so, so that's how the radio business ended up becoming part of Encompass. Um, and, uh, and it's been really, uh, really good for Encompass because uh, Encompass is, is, is in a really unique position now. Uh, Encompass is a, a big, big US firm headquartered in Atlanta. Um, and handle uh, TV transmission and uh, play out and distribution for uh, lo- a, a large number of, of, of big name broadcasters. Um, mm. And with the radio business, it, it makes a really uh, a powerful offer because um, we your customers now have radio and TV uh, under a single supplier, um, and it's quite uh, it's quite good good to work on as well. It's very interesting because mm. um, it, you know th- there aren't many job roles where you could be dealing with TV one minute, uh, internet streaming the next, OTT, and then r- radio. Um, start the, 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 the team in our control room uh, are looking after a shortwave transmitter network, uh, program delivery to uh, FM relays, uh, MF stations, uh, but they're also looking after um, uh, internet streaming of TV channels. Uh, and. Um, uh, live uh, live turnaround services, so it's 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 very busy and varied. You know, is this uh, is this in London? It is in London, Chiswick in West London. Uh, is yeah. our is our London uh, playout centre? Okay, so from uh, is BBC BBC moved from Bush House to another facility? Is that right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So the BBC um, centralised all of their operations in uh, in London. Um, a few years ago now, uh, so Bush House closed, um, and a couple of other facilities uh, closed, and, and the BBC now is now headquartered in a, a, a really impressive, fantastic modern broadcasting facility in West One in London. That was Steve Palmer of the British company Encompass, which does a lot of frequency coordination work, 
at the twice-yearly HFCC conferences around the world. We were speaking with him in Tunis, Tunisia, and we'll have more of that interview on an upcoming edition of WaveScan. At the request of many people over a lengthy period of time, our editor Adrian Peterson has been asked to set the history of his extensive radio backgrounds into print. Over that same number of years, he's been reluctant to do so. However, quite recently, he agreed to accept the challenge and to incorporate the information into the regular programming of this AWRDX program, WaveScan. So, here with the first episode is Ray Robinson. So, Adrian writes, I was born to a young mother and to a young father during the interval of peace between the two world wars. With a touch of humour, I indicate that I was born in the hospital in a country town in South Australia, simply because my mother happened to be there at the time. That was the only town in Australia whose name was given American spelling, not British. The town was Victor Harbour, spelled without the letter U in the word harbour. With another touch of humour, obviously that's the very reason why in my latter years it became necessary for me to migrate and to live in the United States. My father was a motor mechanic who grew up with the new invention of motor cars, and one of his first employment jobs was to uncrate Model T Ford motor cars from Detroit, wash off all the protective grease and reassemble the vehicle. He remained in the motor car world all his life, and he emphasised the importance of professional honesty in the repair and maintenance of motor vehicles. My mother was a descendant of the Royal Family of Scotland that had intermarried with the English Royal Family. A complete ancestral book of the family backgrounds traces the origins back to Scotland, and then way back before that to Scandinavia. My first name begins with the letter A, and each subsequent child born into the family was given a name that begins with the next letter in the English alphabet, right down to the letter G. Yes, all seven of us. Unfortunately, B, C and D are gone, leaving only A, together with E, F and G, still alive. As an infant, I grew up in suburban Adelaide, the planned and well-set-out capital city of the state of South Australia. Before I attended primary school, I gained my first association with shortwave radio. In May 1935, the Silver Jubilee of King George V and Queen Mary was celebrated in England with pomp and ceremony. The BBC in London carried a whole series of radio broadcasts about the grand celebrations, and His Majesty made a speech that was broadcast worldwide in the Empire Service from Daventry Calling. At that stage, our family didn't own an expensive radio receiver, though for the special occasion, my father rented a radio receiver for a month or so. The Silver Jubilee ceremonies were broadcast on shortwave by the BBC, and they were relayed locally in Adelaide and elsewhere throughout Australia on medium wave. Back in May 1935, there were just four medium wave stations on the air in Adelaide, together with three more in the built-up country areas. The four medium-wave radio stations in the mile-square city of Adelaide were 5CL on 730kHz with 2 kilowatts, carrying the ABC from Hindmarsh Square, 5DN on 960kHz with 300 watts, which is a commercial station in the CML building on King William Street, 5KA on 1200kHz with 300 watts, also commercial, from the Richards building on Curry Street, 
and 5 AD on 1310 kHz, again with 300 watts, also commercial, from the Advertiser Building on Weymouth Street. Outside Adelaide, there were three country stations, two in Crystal Brook and one in Murray Bridge. The Crystal Brook stations were 5CK on 640 kHz with 7.5 kilowatts, relaying the ABC from 5CL in Adelaide, and 5PI on 1040 kHz with 200 watts, relaying the commercial 5AD from Adelaide. In Murray Bridge, there was 5MU on 1450 kHz with 100 watts, again relaying commercial 5AD from Adelaide. The main shortwave broadcast from the BBC regarding the Royal Silver Jubilee celebrations took place on a Sunday evening, South Australian time. My parents required me to take a nap in the afternoon so that I could stay up a little later in the evening to hear the BBC relay from England. As a typical kid, I slept little during the afternoon, and of course I slept solidly soon after the shortwave broadcast began. Anyway, I do remember hearing the brilliant band music and some of the live commentary about the Silver Jubilee celebrations. However, I didn't understand very much about the royal events due to the static in the radio, shortwave as well as medium wave, and also because all of the commentators in London spoke with an educated British accent. A comment from me, Ray, they call that RP or received pronunciation. It was a standard on the BBC for many decades. Adrian continues, However, I did gain one interesting hobby as a result of the Silver Jubilee celebrations in England, and that was a love for stamp collecting. In subsequent years, I successfully collected not only the special commemorative Silver Jubilee stamps in Australia, but also every lower-priced postage stamp issued by the PMG Department in the Commonwealth from the time of Confederation in 1901 onwards. When the rental time for the radio receiver expired, my father returned it to the furniture shop from which it had come, and that was that. Well, thank you, Adrian. I'm sure we'll be hearing more of his recollections in the weeks to come. For now, back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH with the first installment of Adrian Peterson's Wandering the World with a Radio. Finally, today we have our Philippine DX report from our friend Henry Umatai. This is the 16th year anniversary edition of Henry's Philippine DX report in WaveScan. Such a privilege given to me, he tells us, and such a privilege to have had your excellent DX reports here on WaveScan for 16 years now. Here's Henry's report for March. Hello, everyone. To our dear shortwave listeners, wherever you're welcome to the March 12 edition of the Philippine DX report number 192. I'm Henry Umada in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. This month is the 16th year anniversary of the Philippine DX. The segment was first heard here in WaveScan on March 25, 2007. To all our DXer friends, thank you very much for the support by sending your reception reports and for keeping in touch for the past 16 years. Thank you, Adventist World Radio and WaveScan for this privilege. A special 16th Filipinas DX QSL card will be issued for this anniversary edition. I would like to thank our, the following listeners for sending the reception report most recently. Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada. Mr. Jose Jacob in Hyderabad, India. Mr. Konstantin Barsenkov in St. Petersburg, Russia. 
and Mr. John Zachary Alvarez in Cavite here in the Philippines. To all of you, thank you very much. Reception lags for February 2023. February 12, Adventist World Radio on 1540 in Chajin from Agat Guam at 1231 SIO444. February 12, Mesima Radio on 17730 in Burmese from Al Jabiya. At 12.35, SAO 3.30, Perpetual Radio Farda on 17.530 in Persian, Pramodantani. At 12.37, SAO 4.34, Perpetual BBC World Service on 15.310 in English, Pram Alsila. At 12.38, SAO 3.33, Perpetual Radio Free Asia on 15.155 in Kamir, Pram Tinian Island. At 12.39, SAO 3.33, Perpetual China National Radio 1, Voice of China, on 13610 in Chinese, Pram Nanning. At 1241, SAO 333, Pabertual Adventist World Radio, on 1200 in Cantonese, Pram Agat Guam. At 1243, SAO 333, Pabertual Radio Free Asia, on 12050 in Tibetan, Pram Kuwait. At 1244, SAO 444, Pabertual TWR Trans World Radio, on 12040 in Sigao Karin, primary so Guam at 1244 SAO333. February 19th, China Radio International on 11955 in Malayalam, from Kuning Aning at 1246 SAO333. February 19th, Radio Taiwan International on 11915 in Indonesia, from Pao Chong at 1248 SAO444. February 19th, BBC World Service on 11850 in English, from Crunchy. At 12.49, SIO 4.54. February 19, NSK World Radio Japan on 11.815 in Japanese. From Yamata, at 12.50, SIO 4.30. February 19, Radio Thailand World Service on 9.940 in Chinese. From Madantani, at 12.51, SIO 3.33. And February 19, Voice of America on 9.825 in Chinese. From Tinang, at 12.56, SIO 4.33. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs, and informations to... PilipinasDX at gmail.com That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-S-D-X for PilipinasDX at gmail.com This has been Henry Ondai for Wavescan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central, Pilipinas Ing Mabuhay at maraming salamat po. Thank you, Henry, for 16 years of service here to Wavescan and to the shortwave community around the world. And thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson. Next week on the program, the radio story in Senegal, Africa, part two, and our Bangladesh DX report. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in California, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.